Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. I know when we send someone on any of our trips that we are delivering on what we promised. If it's their one and only, fantastic, happy days. But the people that come back again and again, and like whether it's for more pleasure or for more punishment, it's just fantastic to see you know that was joyce bartley who's the customer care champion at earth's edge joyce was a client on one of my kilimanjaro trips back in 2017 and we got on like a house on fire after the climb we were having a few drinks back in arusha and she talked me into giving her a job the rest is history we chat about climbing Killy, everest base camp island peak and her plans for the future i really hope you guys enjoy this one Well, JB, how's it going? Not too bad now. How are you getting on yourself? Very good. Long time no chat. <laughs> oh, it's been ages and ages. Far too long. About an hour since I was wrecking your head over something. <laughs> well, delighting me. Delighting me. JB, thanks so much for coming on. I'm just going to start out by asking you a little about what it was like growing up down in Ballancolic and Cork. And were you into the outdoors and what did you do for fun as a kid? Like? It's actually something I was thinking about because you asked me the question just right off the bat. I just said, no, you know, it really wasn't part of my childhood. But I was thinking about it when I've been listening to you chatting on the other podcast with people. And I actually have a vague recollection of being out in the hills. There's a, a beautiful park, Gugambara, that's just outside McCroom. And I remember going there a lot as a kid. Um, there's some beautiful smaller parks closer to home. And I remember spending time there. So I actually asked my mom about it. And I was like, did we like go hiking when we were kids? And she was like, yeah. Because when we got back into hiking, myself and my mom back in kind of, I suppose it was 2014, 2015, on our very first hike, as we were coming down off the mountain, she had bits of her hiking boots were flying off in like every direct direction, like the rubber soles were coming off. We were picking them up, coming back down the trail. And her old pair of boots that she hadn't used in like whatever, 10, 11 years, obviously the ones I had as a kid, you know, were no longer going to be an option on that day. But it was only all of that that kind of made me remember that we, we had actually been out in the, the hills and stuff as a kid. My dad's in the Navy and would always have been like big into fitness and, and mum loves being outdoors, always has. So we used to do a bit of it. I don't really remember an awful lot. I have a, a memory of walking down to the bottom of the Devil's Ladder, Aaron Tool. I was only maybe eight or nine at the time. So my brother would only have been like six or seven and we were standing there and dad was just like, no, you know, we're not trying to get them up here. So we just kind of stood there, had a look, had a bit of a picnic and, and headed back out then. But like on those little legs, like even at that stage, I'm sure it was an awfully long yeah. day for my parents putting up with us going, are we there yet? What's this? Picnic blanket and hang sandwiches and tea kind of job, yeah? Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. I don't even know if we'd have been as sophisticated to have like a, a thermos with us at that stage. I think it was probably just the old... Uh, slightly soggy soft hanging cheese and yeah and where we went for the afternoon 
Yeah, cool. And come here. Um, I wanted to ask you. So obviously, you work for for Earth's Edge. You work for me now. The joys of that. But um, <laughs> so what did you originally do after you finished school? Like, what industry were you in? So I went and I studied applied psychology in Cork after school. And then when I finished in college, I knew I needed a bit of time to kind of sort out what it is I wanted to do and stuff like that. I'd um, I'd had a a mad few years just with you know life getting in the way which I think it does for the first time once you're kind of out of home and have to start juggling things like those mad bills and things like that that people insist on on sending you in the post so I I just picked up work at a, a local coffee shop and I started managing that coffee shop after a while and then I just kind of had jobs like that in the service industry for a few years I spent one summer working in a beer garden in Munich which was amazing great crack still have a great fondness for uh the vice beer oh yeah and then but yeah that's that's all I was doing um and when I went to Kilimanjaro just before I started working for you and um, I was actually managing the Cork branch of the Boojum store at the moment. Oh, I remember that, dude. Do you remember we yeah. like, it's like when you started, you're like, oh my God, she used to work at Boojum. Like, I'd be like, get me some vouchers or, or t shirts yeah, or whatever. Yeah, sure. like, it was the if job. We were putting in the, the Friday lunch order for, for a Boojum, like, I was basically kind of staffing, oh. staffed out there. It's like, okay, I need you to get me this and get me this. I love Mexican food, yeah. Yeah, but we'd only been open like nine months at that stage and it was a massive learning curve um, for me, which I really, really loved. Like the the team were amazing and the head office team were really supportive. But like I'd never I'd never had that size of a team under me before. Um, it was interesting, but I, I knew I was loving it and it was, you know, it was relatively new at the time. So it still felt like a challenge and stuff like that. I couldn't see myself doing it forever and ever. I wasn't looking for anything different at the time. I was happy to kind of, you know, dig the heels in and and keep working away and, and trying to get better at what I was doing. But I guess uh, fate stepped in on, on Kilimanjaro yeah. and kind of took me in a completely different direction, which I certainly have no complaints about. Oh, likewise, no complaints either, dude. <laughs> but come here, we'll talk about Killy in a minute. What was your like first big trek or big mountain like when you're like a young adult? Like what were you, what did you do first? The first one we went to, so myself, myself and my mother headed down to the Galtys. I hadn't touched, you know, a hill or a, a rocky climb in, it must have been 12, 13 years at that point. Um, so completely novel idea. I was actually just out of like an eight year relationship at the time. And my dad was working overseas that summer. So myself and my mom were like, right, at the weekends, we need a project. We need something to do to get us, you know, out and about. So we said, right, we'll, we'll try this hiking lark. Like, it's basically a long walk. Like, we'll be grand. <laughs> so we headed off to the Galtys because you look up hiking in Cork. That's kind of what's thrown at you initially. And we headed off down and it was a beautiful day. Absolutely like bluebird day. Lovely and warm. Uh, you know, in the middle of summer, we, we were hitting <laughs> hitting all the right marks um, for our first day for sure. But of course, hadn't a notion of where we were going or, or anything else and ended up just kind of wandering across a few of the the smaller hills down there but felt great about ourselves at the end of the day like knew we hadn't been next or near Galtymore there was no sign of the cross or anything else but we'd hiked up a big hill and we were out of breath at the end of it so we were like okay well that's the Galtys done what's next so the following weekend then we we headed down to Kerry and we we essentially did what um, I remember doing as kids we walked in right down to the bottom because again 
we had no idea, you know, at the time what we were doing. So we said, we'll go, we'll have a look, you know, see how much trickier this looks now that we're seasoned pros after our uh, previous week's hiking. Um, went in again as far as the Devil's Ladder and took it all in and, and headed back out from there again. So we really were just kind of dipping the toes in at the start, but it was it was the Galtys, which I've been back on many times since. And I must confess, as a proud Cork woman, they are not my favourite range at all. Oh, hang on now. Hang on, I don't be giving the Tipperary Mountains any shit, like, you know. Oh, I'm so sorry, Maddox. Oh, the Galtys. I've had so many poor experiences on them since. Like, we've had days <laughs> where we were down, they were putting sun cream on in the car park. And by the time we got up, we had, like, less than 10 metres of visibility. Like, when the fog rolled in, I've had days where it's the only time I've ever had to blow my whistle for getting lost up there. And no way. Yeah, there was, another, there was another couple of women out hiking on the same day and they heard us. And they were like, we were just after going around in circles. Like we made all the mistakes, all the mistakes <laughs> of what we warn people about. We made them all in like fantastic fashion. Um, and most of them seem to have happened on the Galtys. So I just have an aversion to them. They are boggy mountains, yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, uh, like a great, a great learning experience. And I've like we went on and I think dad kind of forced a mountain skills course onto us that Christmas because he was like right if I get any more calls from you saying Asher we got lost but we're grand um, <laughs> <laughs> so we we went and we, we did that we felt a bit more confident then whether that was a good thing or not and um, the following year when we had her back out onto the hills and I've, I've subsequently done work with with Brian Bateson so I'm not trying to tarnish his good name there was none of that done before Brian Bateson, he's getting too many mentions in this podcast. You know, he he's going to have to start paying me money, you know? Oh, definite commissioning model there, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And come here, so how did you come about to decide to go to Kilimanjaro, JB? I had had two friends who had studied abroad in Spain when we were in college. And one of the girls had studied in Santiago. So I had heard all about the Camino from her when she was studying over there. I looked it up myself and I said mm, that's you know that looks handy enough it's just walking there's nothing technical you're on very clearly laid out path so hopefully even I cannot go astray <laughs> so I had I, th- I think I needed something to to kind of focus on and 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 work towards I, I always um, work better when there's a very definitive kind of goal to aim for it just helps me keep focus I think you know an awful lot of people operate in the same way I'm not one of those people that can kind of tip away at it and sure it'll it's like having a deadline or something isn't it you got to get fit for this yeah it just kind of it keeps the focus you know you have to kind of grind it out even i I mean i'm I'm sure i'm sure we'll talk about it even more uh further down the line but you know in the middle of winter there's nothing worse than pulling on the the boots and the the socks and the first layer and the the, all the wet gear and knowing you're going to spend six hours miserable but you gotta get this hiking because you've got something coming up if I don't have something coming up that hike's not happening do you know what I mean I need need the focus anyway I was going to do the Camino in 2016 I was very lucky with where I was working at the time I could take three weeks leave off together so I just booked my tickets all I did was book my flights I didn't book any kind of accommodation I didn't go through like a any kind of event organizers or anything like that. As I said, I had a bit of knowledge about it from my friend who'd been living over there for the year. So it was my first time traveling by myself and I really cool. loved it. Um, I met a fantastic 
group of people on the trail, like, you know, my Camino family, um, as we, we called um, each other. And like, I'm still in contact with them to this day. I was, I was three weeks over there. So I flew into uh, Leon and well, I flew into Santander and then got the bus down to Leon. And then I walked from there to Santiago and then I did the the last bit, like out to Finisterre and Musia. It was amazing. I mean, I wasn't trying to break any, you know, land speed records or anything like that. So I was just plodding along doing, you know, whatever I felt like doing on a day. I think the most I did one day was like 32 kilometers, but most days it was closer to kind of 20, 25. Mm. And it was amazing. I was so lucky with the weather. We had a couple of wet days, but it was fantastic. And of course, I was reporting all of this home to my mom, the rest of the family and, you know, sending the photos and everything else. And mom was like, right, that looks you know, that looks fantastic. We should definitely aim for something together next year. I'm like, absolutely, mom, you know, fire away. Mm. Whatever you like. <laughs> so the next thing she comes up with is Kilimanjaro suggestion. I was like, right, okay. I thought we were going to, you know, there's a, a running family joke that we were supposed to be going on a girly weekend um, over to New York shopping and somehow mum got the that, tickets yeah. mixed up and uh, we ended up in uh, East Africa climbing <laughs> Kilimanjaro instead. <laughs> quite the contrast there, isn't it? Quite, quite different. But I, I remember mum uh, got in contact uh, with yourselves, with Babs as it was at the time and she sent me on the information and then myself and mum are both complete nerds. You know, we had the, the info packs printed out and we had meetings about our equipment list and all the rest of it you know we were sitting there with a highlighter and pen going through all the different points making sure we were all set and this was I mean I think we booked on something like 14 months in advance like we were way ahead of the curve on, on it we just wanted to have something to look forward to so yeah that was that was it and I like I knew very little about it at, at the beginning as I said I kind of gobbled up all the information that we got in terms of you know, training and, and preparation. I remember calling into the gym I was in at the time and telling them what I was doing. And like, I hadn't a clue either yeah. at this stage. So I actually found the old training plan I had recently enough. And just it just made me chuckle. Like, in fairness to the poor young Flynn there, I'd say he, was, he wasn't any older than I was. He was like maybe mid-20s at the time. And What did he have in your training program? Oh, I, there was an awful lot of walking lunges, which in fairness, fine, but there wasn't a whole load of variety. Do you know what I mean? Um, but anyway, listen, it, it, it all it, it all did, did the trick in the end. But I we just did an awful lot of um, an awful lot of trekking mm. uh, coming up to it. I remember going to the the training weekend in Wicklow. We actually couldn't make our one. Um, my, my cousin was getting married that weekend, so we went to a different Kilimanjaro training weekend. And it was Louise leading the weekend. Yeah. And myself and mom were smitten kittens with Louise uh, at the end of the weekend. We were like, can we change our trip? Can we go with you, Louise? Yeah. In, in the end, you know? That's a kick in the teeth. Like if you if you're if you meet Louise, <laughs> then you get stuck with me and Kilimanjaro. You're like, oh no, not this guy. So we 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 no we've no idea. Like, but we were just absolutely besotted with Louise. You know, she's such an amazing story as 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 she's told some of herself here on on the podcast and stuff and she just liked that all the time with this kind of energy and you know seeing a woman out on the mountains you know leading us and stuff like that it, it really made me very excited you know I was like how did you get involved in this and what did you do and what are the steps to you know being involved in the outdoors because I knew even at that stage I think that because this had been like such a big part of 
my life over, you know, two years at that point that I wanted to be more involved in it, but I didn't know how, you know, like this was mm. kind of new territory for me as such. It wasn't something I'd ever considered, you know, in, in my youth or anything like that. I wasn't like, oh, I want to, you know, be outdoors all the time when I'm, when I'm older. So anyway, Louise was a, a mine of information as always. And um, I kind of, you know, soaked it all up, but didn't, you know, I wasn't making, um, making waves at that point, wasn't looking to make any huge changes, just something to kind of ruminate on, I suppose. Then cool. we rocked up to the Air Force. Yeah, that was my next question. How is like, how is the whole Kilimanjaro trip like? Tell us about it like. For me, in every sense of the world, it was a life-changing experience. As I said, myself and mom had done all this training and prep beforehand and we had decided, we had like a, a safe word, uh, QNIS, which is quiet or silence <laughs> in Irish. So if we said this to each other when we were over there, it meant that that person needed a bit of space. And you couldn't take offense to it, <laughs> but you just needed to give them a bit of space. Let them simmer off. That's class. I love that. You just, you just go to each other like Cunis, make conversation. Cunis. You just say Cunis. <laughs> and you just, there could be no repercussions to this. You know, everyone would just have to go and, and simmer down themselves. I remember we were standing there, you know, when you meet everyone initially at the airport and you're kind of trying to figure out who knows who and, and all the rest. And, um, Mom was like, she was like, oh, I don't know. Now you could be saying Cunis to me, you know, a couple of times a day when we're over there, there'll be no escape. But the group we were with were phenomenal. It was, you know, right from the off in the airport on day one. And, you know, like we hadn't, as I said, gotten to meet everyone beforehand, which was a pity. But we really got a, a flavor for everyone um, on, on the trip itself. Cormac and Aideen were there. It was their honeymoon, which to me was just like, a phenomenal idea like this is the best thing ever to do for a honeymoon Ashling was there as well it was a full family event for you really. yeah yeah half my family were there yeah <laughs> it was two other groups of girls who were friends uh two of them had just decided in the pub one night they were going to you know asher listen why don't we sign up and do this you know it was phenomenal yeah it was super um, really really great the whole thing was so easy because put on the flight and it wasn't until you were kind of picking up your bag again on the other side of it in Kilimanjaro International you were like oh right now what do I have to do it myself we just loved every minute of it uh, we had a the room together in the outpost lodge and so at that point you're after spending kind of 48 hours in a, a very uh I suppose what could be a, a boring environment you know doing all that travel but you basically just spend the time getting to know people I just think it's an, an amazing thing to be able to do for yourself and to do for your own head, you know, to kind of get that time and just completely immerse yourself in in the day to day. Like all we had to do was get up, put on the boots, put on the layers and get trekking. And we were fed and we were watered. We didn't have to worry about anything else. It was just stripping everything right back. So all you have is, you know, the, the environment around you and the people around you to focus on and enjoy every day. I mean, genuinely did like the crack in the mess tents every night was incredible. You know, I've, I've never eaten so much in a week um, as the week we had there, you know, there was seconds and, and, and thirds even, you know, on, on certain evenings, anytime anyone has a birthday, there's a cake and she listen, we love an our cake. Yeah. She's your sound to me now. I want to go back. I'm like, as soon as we can go, I'm gone. I know I've said it to you again and again, but I would go back in the morning. No problem. Um, but yeah, we, we just loved it. That first morning, um, not at the gate. Um, obviously, that's all very exciting, getting to meet the, the guides and the porters and stuff for the first time and kind of getting a feel for it. It's, it's so difficult to what I think people imagine about Kilimanjaro and being in Africa, that like thick green jungle. And it's, 
you know, it's very humid and, and everything else. Like it, it doesn't really like, it didn't compute in my head initially. Like I felt like, bring us to the right place like are they sure <laughs> um and that that first day is is lovely it's, it's really really wonderful and it's a nice kind of introduction to life on the mountain because obviously you're starting that bit later so the day isn't as long and you can just kind of relax and, and take it all in but the first day that we woke up on the mountain the porters got us up got us fed and then we were gathered around kind of wondering what's what's happening next and they started singing and dancing, um, myself and mom just kind of stood there and went, huh? What? <laughs> what is this? But, oh, my God, it just absolutely sets you up for the day. Like, I, I remember days where, you know, I'd be standing there in, in two or three layers um, in the, the lovely high altitude, fresh uh, feel of the morning. And by the time the, the singing and the, the dancing had, had stopped and we were ready to actually hit the road, I'd be back down to my t-shirt again and, you know, blood pumping and, and ready to fly off up the mountain. I think that first morning, there was that little bit of kind of like <sighs> Irish kind of tension and, and uh, you know, bashfulness about the situation. We're like, oh God, no, do we have to participate in this? Please don't make me dance, you know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. But by the end of the week, I, like on our last day, I think we were we were over an hour dancing and, and singing and, and joking with everyone, you know, at, at that morning kind of ceremony, for want of a better word. And it was just just phenomenal. It really kind of set you up for the day just in terms of, you know, getting the blood flowing, starting with smiles and you yeah, just kind class. of smile then for the rest of the day. We, we were very lucky, myself and mom. Like I, I remember there was a few people on our trip who like were really struggling for a few days with their tummies like not being necessarily unwell but they just couldn't settle they didn't you know have too much of an appetite on a few days and they weren't sleeping and like myself and my mom be sitting there at the the breakfast table going I got nine hours last last night how many did you get I got ten you know we were the minute we were in the tent we'd like natter away for a couple of minutes and we were punked gone the the very first night I made the mistake of drinking water too late in the day and I had to get out of my lovely cozy sleeping bag twice to pee that night and I was like okay I am not making that mistake again That's so I remember one, yeah for sure yeah typical typical so for the rest of the week I uh I made sure I got the water in early and I'd literally only be sipping by the time we got to dinner time so that I wouldn't have to part ways with my sleeping bag in the dead of the night and um, again so it was fantastic my Seventh moment, we still chat about it, and like genuinely, we we'd go back in the morning. It's the best time we ever had together, and it was just such a a wonderful week. Just the two of us in the tent, just nattering away in the evenings, you know, happy out with life, and then we'd be bopping up and down during the day, chatting to everyone in the group, and yeah, just phenomenal. Deadly dude, I'm just going to stop you there for one second, JB. Ariana's going to join us now. Hey, Ariana. Hi, James. What's the crack? What's the story? I just want to take a moment to talk about the benefits of becoming a B Corp and what it means for your business. Not only does becoming certified hold your business accountable for social and environmental responsibility, but it gives your customers peace of mind that they are supporting a company that's committed to benefiting the planet and its people. B Corps are helping battle the climate crisis to ensure a safe environment for generations to come, and they also advocate for better care and support for their workers. So becoming a B Corp means you're helping to build stronger and healthier communities, encouraging positive action towards society's biggest challenges. Yeah, it's an incredible movement, isn't it? There are so many advantages to becoming a B Corp. 
Absolutely. Our values define us as a company and they're an intrinsic part of our identity. Becoming a certified B Corporation has allowed us to ingrain our positive values towards the environment and our communities into our business and how we operate. That's Savage, Ariana. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, James. See you next week. JB, I want to talk about the story about how you came about to working for Earth's Edge because at the end of that trip, I was on the sat phone talking to the guys back in Dublin. I was due to have someone start in customer service like the week I got back. You know, they just couldn't start. So you got wind of this then. On the last night we were in Tanzania with a few beers on board, you came up to me and asked me for a job. Yeah, it's pretty much how it went, isn't it? I mean, I'd like to pretend there was more to it than that. But yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. Um, I think I was chatting to, to Cormac that evening, you know, and on a total high after being on the mountain for the week and elated from finally being clean. I think after like a 45 minute shower, just scrubbing the mountain, dust and grit off myself. I was standing there on my my second bottle of Kilimanjaro beer, feeling very, uh, very cheerful, shall we say. And uh, yeah, Cormac mentioned something. I, I can't remember exactly what was said, but, you know, you were a bit preoccupied or you were worried because something back at the office. And yeah, sure enough, it was a, a job opportunity, as I saw it. And so, yeah, I remember going over to you and being like, listen, I know now. You only know me a wet week, but you know you you were you were great about it. You were lovely. You were like, ah, listen, you're you're just on a a high now after the mountain. You know you you don't know what way you think about it yet. Have a have a think. And I left you alone for a little bit, and I came back, and I was like, no, no, listen, I I really think this could be you know amazing. I think I could bring an awful lot to it, and I really don't want to let go of this incredible experience I've had over the past twelve days, basically. So yeah, I we had. My initial interview was out by the pool in Arusha Lodge and the Outpost Lodge, rather, in Arusha, under the twinkling stars of, of Tanzania. Yeah, Asher was never going to go bad, like, you know, drinking <laughs> bottles of Kilimanjaro, going like, yeah, you'd be great for this job. And... Great. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember you saying to me, though, you were like, right, you'll have to come in for a proper interview because you were like, the girls will kill me if they come back. And I'm like, I'm just after hiring this randomer from Cork and um, off the back of one of my trips, so... I we got home on 12th of August a couple of days later I had the job so it was literally a case of handing in my notice at work I had to give them a month handing in my notice in my apartment packing up my my life in Cork and relocating to to Dublin you know smoke yeah busy six weeks you know in fairness from from leaving on that that plane um to to being settled into the office in in Donnybrook it was it was pretty busy (laughs) It's mad how like a chance encounter, you know, like, and it's worked out great for me too, for sure. But a lot of the listeners who've traveled with us or made inquiries will know you, Joyce. Like, can you just explain to the listeners what you do, JB? What's your, what's your job is for Earth's Edge? Um, so my role is predominantly customer service or customer care. So I'm kind of the point of contact from when someone is initially in touch, like taking the example of myself and my mother listen we, we have this mad notion we want to go climb this mountain you know how can you help us and I'll take that right through the process so answering all your questions and you know taking you through the process of actually getting everything organized so we need things like travel insurance information passport details all of that and I'm there to you know in a nice friendly way remind you repeatedly um to send me all the information we need to or get the trip organized there to answer any questions and there to have the chats one of my favorite parts of the job is actually 
the bit I get to do after the trip. So I call everybody to, to find out how their trip was. And I, I absolutely love that. I'll be honest, it, it feels like showboating for me some days. I'm just like, tell me how much you loved it, you know? <laughs> how much, like, did I not promise you it was going to be amazing? I, I just hear it time and time again. You know, I, I know people say it's, can say it's a, a cliche or whatever to um, to say that these experiences change you. But I, I hear it every day from people. I know it to be true. I know from my own experience. I know from to all of our amazing clients. And I just love hearing people's stories. You know, everyone has a different motivation, like what got them on their first mountain. But for some people, that's enough. For some people, it's this bucket listing and they wanted to do this one and that's it. And they are happy out. And that's phenomenal, you know. And I know when we send someone on any of our trips that we are delivering what we promised, they are going to be so happy with whatever one of the trips it is that, that they picked. So I'm, I'm not worried about any of that. So if it's their one and only, fantastic, happy days. But the people that come back again and again, and like whether it's for more pleasure or for more punishment, it's just fantastic to see, you know? Mm. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's something like, unless you're out on annual leave or what, whatever, I don't tend to speak to a lot of the clients uh, directly anymore. I did obviously back in the day, like when it was just me in the business by myself, but uh, yeah, it's... it's on your it's, laptop, all about your lonesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, waiting for emails or the phone to ring. <laughs> I just never rang, but... Uh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's always nice to hear about how people are getting on. And I read that's really what, oh, yeah. it's, what it's all about. If you don't buzz off uh, people's experiences, we're, we're in the wrong, uh, we're in the wrong business. Oh, for sure. And I mean, we're a very small company and, and I kind of love that about us as well. Like I, I get to know people I like, and not everybody. Some people literally, you know, I just get the, the perfunctory emails of like, this is the information you asked for it. Here you go. And that's it. And that's a very small percentage of of our clients like they seem to uh, I don't know if I, I flatter myself here or what but they seem to like hearing from us or hearing from from me at the you know at the end of an email and and I love having that that, that chat and you know finding out what what, what they've been up to and, and what they're aiming for next and and all the rest of it you know and I I genuinely care that they have the kind of experience I know that we can deliver you know so I, I want that to be the case for each and for each and every one of them I see myself as like the the customer's voice you know if we're looking to add another amazing trip I'm like mm, you know is that are our people gonna love that the earth's edge gang gonna gonna love that trip you know or whatever the case may be yeah you're you're always fighting our corner yeah which is, which is cool. <laughs> getting stuck in <laughs> so JB um like everybody else who works in the office you all guys get to go and do one expedition per year Mm. except me now I get to go on about five but uh, you get to go on whatever you want <laughs> yeah yeah so JB in 2019 you went to Nepal yeah. this time I brought your mum and dad to trek to Everest base camp like it was a 23 day trip proper mission how was that trip for you it was incredible so um and we've been talking about Everest base camp I think actually herself and dad had booked onto Everest base camp and I managed, I don't know how, but I managed to persuade them that Island Peak would be a really good idea. Like, ah, oh, Dad, you're grand. It doesn't matter. It's your first trip. You'll be fine. You're you big fitness. Not you'll be grand. Yeah. So anyway, um, I don't think it took that much cajoling really in the end. But we had ourselves signed up for May 2019. So that November, um, like in the bleak midwinter, uh, we began training for it. I'm um, just hitting the hills. We hadn't, with the year we'd had, we hadn't done 
you know, anywhere near the kind of trekking and trailing we'd done the summer before. So we just kind of started back into it relatively gently, except for the, the weather conditions, obviously, over the winter are less than agreeable. But we knew with the kind of time frame we had that we needed to just get stuck in at that point. So started hitting the hills with mum and dad in November. And then come January in typical kind of new year, new me fashion, I said, right, I want to make sure that I can make this happen for myself. Because when I was on Killy, I hadn't actually made the summit. I think that was possibly one of the, like, the best things that could have happened to me. Um, for Kilimanjaro, I knew I'd done all the training with mum. I'd been on all the hills. I'd, I'd done everything else. But like mum was you know, up at half five in the morning, hitting the gym four mornings a week in prep for that. You know, the, I can't reveal a lady's age, but like it's, she's a very impressive woman regardless. And I felt after Kilimanjaro, because I hadn't made something, now I can throw all the excuses that I want. It was an altitude thing, but I felt legitimately that like I hadn't fully committed to it. I hadn't kind of, you know, thrown the kitchen sink at it. And maybe if I'd worked a bit harder in my preparation that I, you know, I would have been more comfortable on summer night and could have pulled through. But listen, that's, you know, neither here nor there. But the feeling of not having made it and being surrounded by everyone at camp later on that night and back in Arusha the following day. And they're all like they were all on such a high. I had an amazing time in that mountain and I'd, I would want to go back whether I had made it to the top or not. But to have that kind of empty pit kind of feeling in the in the bottom of my stomach, you know, in comparison to the high that everyone else else was riding I was like right I I don't want any more of that so I'm going to get over there and if it doesn't happen if altitude or anything else gets in the way that's fine I can't control that but I can make sure that I'd have no niggling thought that oh if only you'd done if you had just could you have pushed it a bit no so (laughs) January uh 2019 back up in Dublin then after a lovely Christmas with my mother fattening me up, no doubt, um, and flung myself into the gym. So for three months, I was just going at it myself. I had read somewhere, probably another, you know, one of those New Year's articles that it takes 90 days to form a habit. So I stuck at it. I was going four or five mornings a week um, to the gym before work and then walking over to the office afterwards and then walking back in the evenings and, you know, just trying to be generally more active. I also knew for Island Peak that even though it's a, a trekking peak, um, any of the more kind of technical aspects with the rope work and, and the crevasse crossing and stuff like that only happens on summit night. But I knew I'd have to do something about my uh, fear of heights. So I found a, a local climbing gym in Dublin out in Inchicore, Gravity, and uh, I started bouldering there. Now, not something I have any great skill or any talent for, but I was doing it. I was getting up and there was a decent amount of space between me on the ground and I was doing it. And, you know, that's that's all grand. So we did a couple of bouldering sessions and then we went out to Awesome Walls in Dublin um, out by Finglas and we were doing climbing sessions there with a bit more rope work. And I ended up doing a climbing session with Brian in Doki Quarry beforehand, just practicing again with the rope. And then in the last six weeks before we travelled, I actually signed up one of the, the guys, Michal, who used to work in the office, the lovely Michal, he's been on the podcast, who's a, a personal trainer. I signed up to work with him for six weeks before we went. 
and kind of got him to formalize what I was doing in the gym I suppose kind of put a bit more structure on it we called the training plan because he was like you know what what's the goal like what are you trying to get out of this and we called the training plan mission strong as fuck and uh, that was you know I still have the playlist from from those gym sessions and stuff like that saved in my phone under that you know and yeah that that was it and it was it was an incredible couple of months of preparation like I, I really really enjoyed it and I, I genuinely felt going over there that you know I had controlled everything I could control myself any morning that it was a bit of a struggle to get out of bed or anything else I was like is this going to be the difference is this going to be the one like I don't do this one and then I'm over there in a couple of months time going off you've gotten up that Tuesday morning you know you you could have you could have made it so um yeah I think not having made it on on Kilimanjaro really gave me um I suppose a bit of an edge in terms of driving the kind of sheer blinkered focus that I had on just beasting myself and preparing um to make sure that I I myself like I don't think the the kind of level I went at it at was necessarily 100% what was required for that trip but I knew mentally I had to feel like everything was done I had ticked all those boxes yeah I remember uh, prior to that trip kind of chatting to you and you were asking like, do I think you'd be up for it after you're not topping out on Killy? And I was like, yeah, definitely. Like you, you can do it. You know, we all have our bad days on, on the mountains. And But when you yeah. were there, I think you guys had a little bit of bad weather before some of it. And we were like just getting the reports back in the office and we were just like, I was like, oh God, please let JV summit, you know. I was like, and you did. Everyone was just like, yes, it's delighted oh, for you. I can yeah. imagine yourself now because you know what I think what it was was that I had like Nepal sorry before I, I, I get into the the ins and outs of someone I put Nepal itself absolutely amazing um I want to keep coming back again and again and and dad I'm after opening to he's he's provisionally put his name down for another few I think we'll be on rare peak hopefully um but before too long together but just a phenomenal country you know and everywhere you turn there's some beautiful majestic peak that you've you know heard all the stories and read all the books about and I just couldn't get over it you know every day there was some fantastic new like picture perfect postcard like out the the awful long drop window you know inside in the tea house <laughs> you'd be like oh that's something pretty to look at at least but yeah it was phenomenal um into base camp was was all good it's 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 such a well-paced trip in terms of like giving your body the time I think everyone would just had a chance to kind of a, a, adjust and, and acclimatise and like obviously people feel it differently everyone was having a, a different experience um, of it but I felt good in base camp and then Calipathar the next morning when we got up which I'm so glad we did because I was kind of a little apprehensive I was like oh you know the, the big ones next week maybe I should just kind of take the time and, and lie off or whatever but no it was fantastic we got the best views of, of Everest we actually saw um like head torches on the south call like some team going for uh their summit attempt that summit, night. yeah wow yeah it was incredible i mean you're, you're standing a little it feels like it's within arm's reach at that point you know but i really struggled that morning on calipathar i think my poor boots were perhaps i, I was being a bit uh nostalgic with them because they were the same boots i'd had on Killy, <laughs> and i wasn't willing to give them up before i i did nepal so I'd say they were kind of just missing maybe a little bit of the cushioning that they'd had in a, in a, in a previous life. So my feet got very cold. 
that morning and I just ran out of steam I think because it was such an early up and I couldn't make myself eat that early I should have just sucked it up and done it but anyway I just ran out of fuel and I ended up only getting to you know the on Calipathari there's like the, the proper summit that's up that scramble but there's like a little one off to the side yeah and um, so Brian walked me up there and I'll be forever grateful he was singing the pogues um, and <laughs> going up the mountain the last like kind of couple of hundred meters just to kind of keep me going keep me smiling and came back down then that day and I was like right okay that was you know that was what it was um but I'm just going to put that out of my head now and you know keep going everything was still feeling good for me I was a bit tired after you know we were what, 11 days hiking at that stage and we had another week until Island Peak but I was like no I'm not gonna not gonna let it bother me and even like the night before you go for summit we stay up at high camp a lot of um other groups go from base camp all the way up to summit and back down like it adds an extra three hours onto the night oh, it makes a huge difference yeah it's huge 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 so we were actually camping at the height of Kalapathar on that last night before summit this is actually okay. Like I snoozed and everything. I don't know what's wrong with me that like I'm like sleeping like a baby at altitude. You know what I mean? Like I can't get through a night. It's a good complaint to have, JB, to be honest. I can't get through a night at sea level, but the minute I'm at altitude, I'm like out like a light, gone for nine hours. It, it was definitely the hardest thing I'd done physically up to that point. The last 45 minutes on the wall where you're just like kicking in with crampons and everything is cramping up your legs like I was I remember like turning myself every three or four steps to try and like aggravate a different muscle group for a while because it was just they all wanted to give up and um, but yeah it was phenomenal Amazing. and stood at the top of all Island Peak with dad and and an amazing group feel like Brian was our guide Donald was the doctor Donald was full of energy full of beans the whole time and and there was another um father and son from cork it was a great cork trip actually mm. before i let you go jb i was going to ask you what are your what are your plans for after the pandemic what what mountains have you got in your pipeline like anything everything <laughs> i'll take them all um originally in 2019 myself and my partner sam we were supposed to be doing elbrus last july and i remember like the date rolling around last summer and like you know obviously it wasn't happening but I, I was so conscious of the fact that we were supposed to be there for that whole week but then as I said I was chatting with with mom and she said she'd uh she'd do Machu Picchu so hopefully that will be next on the agenda for summer next year and then after that who knows I'd love to do definitely want to do Elbrus and um, you know after doing Elbrus I suppose we'd have to back in Caragua but honestly, they all sound so amazing. Like the, the Troy Adventures in particular, um, I think just given the way my own interests have gone over the last couple of years in terms of fitness and training and everything else, I think the kind of diversity that, you know, is on offer there would just be amazing, you know. Yeah, so. no, for sure. It'd be nice to get out to Kenya. But, you know, I think regarding the pandemic, like I think we've definitely turned a corner with it. I didn't feel like that right this second in Ireland, especially when you're listening to the media hour in, hour out. But yeah it's looking a lot better i think in a month it's like being on the mountains though you know you just have to control the controllables just do the bits that that you can do yourself on a daily basis that are going to make you happy in that day and not you know not spend too much time trying to look forward or project forward i know it's so important to have goals and have things to aim for but for me the, the real kicker of like this last lockdown has been that I, i've just not allowed myself to kind of 
have a final date in mind because I found constantly shifting like you know expectation of when this is going to end to be a real kicker yeah for um, sure before Christmas so I'm like this is like this is working for me on a day-to-day on a week-to-week at the moment getting up doing my training working away you know I've got other smaller kind of you know medium-term goals to kind of be taken off in the meantime and when the big stuff is is ready I'll be ready for it but just try and work on what I can for now you know yeah I think that's the attitude to have JB that was deadly thank you so much it was great crack I'm apparently just well able to waffle on about myself oh you are sure I know you well like (laughs) thanks so much for that dude you're doing an amazing job and I really appreciate you a lot absolute pleasure cheers dude bye 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 this podcast was produced by Earth's Edge we're a small business based in Ireland who organise big adventures all over the world For more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast, visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.